Well, praise the Lord. Give Jesus one more big hand today. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good. And you may be seated. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. If you had a hard time finding a seat, let me tell you, we've got plenty of room Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9. Same service. We'd be honored if you'd maybe take a, take a peek and, and, uh, and make a little room for your friends coming next week. Well, we've been doing a series as of late called Happy, Happy, Happy. Kind of a takeoff from Duck Dynasty, those guys that have captured America's heart. And I think the reason is not just because they dress up and have long beards, not just because they duck hunt, but it's because they're making relationships work. And it's kind of from that premise we have developed a series to teach you biblical principles about how to make your relationships work, let them be healthy, and last a lifetime. If you were here with us last week, actually, we'll start there. If you want to go to Proverbs chapter 18, I want to take just a minute and review with you. This is a two-part message about words, life or death. But last week, we talked about the power of the words we say to people. Proverbs 18, 21, I want you to say this with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Interesting. Death and life. And perhaps the reason he said death first, it's because oftentimes there's so many words that are troubling, evil, discouraging. It's just easier for the negative side than the life-giving side. But life and death, death and life is in the power of the words we say. Words are like a container. The little bucket that came by earlier with the, with the invitations in it. That bucket contained the invites. Well, your words are simply of a container, not just of facts, but particularly of emotions and feelings. And how many know what comes out of our heart? That's where words come from. They come from our heart and they're expressed through our mouth. Where James 3 gives us a little warning here. James 3 says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. <laughs> now, that's a big one. In other words, something about the evil side of the, the evil, the sinful nature, it sparks the tongue. If you have a problem with anger, it's coming out. If you have a problem being critical, it's coming out. Well, he goes on to say, no human being can tame the tongue. In other words, this is more than willpower, what we're talking about. There's some degree of willpower, but it must be more. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Not cussing, like cuss words, but cursing people. Negative, derogatory words. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Maybe you were here last week and uh, I introduced to you a, a, a new device called the uh, tongue control device. It was a rubber band. You know, we practiced that a little bit. I had a lady tell me this morning after first service, she said, I thought that was such a great idea. I bought my husband the extreme model and put it around his neck, and I've been getting a, a, <laughs> I've been getting a lot of mileage out of it. Anyway, Matthew, I now have marriage counseling this week. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12, the last scripture, Jesus said this now. He said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's the dynamic. You can change, you know, just with some deliberateness, maybe 70% of your words, but there's some stuff that's down inside that you can't change on your own. You need God to help you. And the great news is, how many know God is in the heart-changing business? That testimony of that young man, not only did he start serving the Lord, but he changed his relationship to his family and his father. And rather dad initiating, he initiated because God had changed his heart. So there's some great hope in this, and I'm going to illustrate it in a little clip from the movie Fireproof. And I want you to listen to it, and I want you to think that this is possible in relationships that I'm in, but I particularly want you to listen to the words they're saying and how the words changed when they allowed Christ to change their heart. Take a peek. It's a clip from Fireproof. 
Kleenexes will be sold for a dollar apiece up here on the stage. <laughs> How in the world do you go from, I hate you, I want to divorce you, to, you're a good man, I love you, and I forgive you? Well, it started when he began to open his heart to God and surrender to God. And when he began to change on the inside, God began to change him, and it came out in his words. It got her attention. She turned away from an affair, and she turned her heart back to him. God has the power to do that because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And listen to this. This is the spiritual truth I try to teach each week. The quality of our relationships will be determined by the words we say. Last week we talked about the negative words. Today we're going to talk about life-giving words that bless. Let's look together. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to look at two things this morning that complement. Give me about 30 minutes this morning. We're going to look first at Jesus. What Jesus' Father said to him, God the Father spoke to him. And then we're going to flip the page and look at what the Bible calls the blessing. And this is very, very practical for all of us that are here. You can put this into practice right after church. You can put this into practice in your home, in your workplace. I promise you it will help. Let's begin. Words of life from a father to a son. Mark chapter 1, this is, these are the first days of Jesus' ministry. He's 30 years of age. In those days, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw heavens being torn open and the Spirit came up out of the water, or, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, and the voice said, You're my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. Now let's go back to this passage just a moment, when it said the heavens were tore open. This is a very, it's somewhat of a violent word, but if you could get this picture of a zipper in a tent. In other words, a tent separating, the, it's the thick material, can't see outside from inside, and you open that zipper and you're able to come inside or see inside. God's presence invaded humanity. Uh, some believe that God exists. He is in heaven, whether it's at the farthest end of the Hubble telescope where you can't see the end of the stars, or others believe that it is, it is a dimension or reality that we cannot see, but it is real, just like a zipper for it to open in the sky before us. I believe the latter. But this experience happened to Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him because Jesus needed to be anointed for his messianic mission. But then there was a voice. And what we see in this passage, we see the Trinity. We see three things at work. We see God the Father, we see Jesus the Son, and we see God the Holy Spirit all in this one passage in Scripture. But it's the words that I want to look at. It's this voice. Now, this particular experience in Scripture, it was predicted in the Bible. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Now, I want you to think about this. Particularly if you're a bit skeptical of the Bible, skeptical of the teachings of Christianity, I'm going to give you two references today that talk about predictions that were made hundreds of years before the event. We can't even predict if it's going to rain in three days, 100% accuracy. But the Bible is speaking centuries ahead. Isaiah 42 said this, Behold my servant, my chosen, and notice the phrase, in whom my soul delights. You remember the words that were spoken over Jesus? You're my beloved son. And then he goes on to say, I put my spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit came from heaven, and he's going to bring justice from the nations. Now, I want to look at the words, though, and find application in this today. These words that said, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Now, there were people that were present, but the father was not speaking to Christ the son he, um, he was not speaking to these other people. He was speaking to his son, Jesus. Now, that's very important because 
Jesus, though he was very God, he's also very man. In other words, Jesus was conceived supernaturally. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. There is no act of intercourse involved, but somehow, just as God created Genesis 1, 1 and forwards, He created the heavens and the earth. Christ was somehow implanted in the womb of Mary. It was supernatural. He was God. But yet at the same time, He was a man. He was born of a woman. I cannot explain that to you, but I'll tell you, I'm one preacher who's lost after Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God loses me. So I don't have a problem with Jesus being fully God and fully man. So, so Jesus, as a man, had a mission, and his mission was to enslave the entire world. Now, it was not a small thing. The entire world depended on Jesus accomplishing his task. And Jesus was a man, and it would cost him everything in his life. He literally would have to give his life. It would be lots of pain involved. And I believe these words were said to him to reassure him, to lift him, to help him find a sense of purpose and self in life that he could do what he was called to do. I went to a volleyball game the other day. My daughter's in the eighth grade, and the score was 23 to 24, and a little girl is serving. Now, how many know if she, if she makes a bad serve, we lose, so no pressure there. But as she's getting back there, I could tell she was praying, and her coach stood, stands up and said, I believe in you. You can do it. Just take a deep breath and hit the ball. Well, that same encouragement that that little girl needed, I believe the Father, or Jesus needed, and the Father gave these, this to him through these words, because words are containers, but they affect us on the inside. Now, I want you to listen to what he said, and we're going to find some application in this. Now, uh, first, let me, I want you to think a second how Jesus felt when he heard these words. He heard the words, I love you, I'm proud of you, I believe in you. You make me happy. How do you feel if somebody says that to you? I mean, a significant person in your life has the ability to shape you on the inside to how you think and how you view things. Remember the old Gene Hackman movie, Hoosiers? I mean, it's a classic. They're, this little bitty team in Indiana, just a few boys on the team, seven boys on the team, they're going up to the regional in the district, and one of the games, the team is down by one point, and they foul this little guy. His name was Ollie. Well, the way Ollie shot a free throw was he did like this. And he'd already shot one in the game, and he missed it. He missed the whole basket, backboard, and everything. Well, now he's going to be the one that determines if they win or lose. So they call timeout. He comes over, and the coach says, okay, he said, after Ollie makes his shot, get back on defense because they might try to do a last-minute shot. And he looks at Ollie and said, Ollie, you will make your shot. Now, something about this significant person, this coach, spoke words into him that helped him believe in himself when he didn't believe in himself. That's what we're talking about today. And you have that power because life and death is in the power of our tongue. Now, every human being has need for affirmation like this. Every person in this room, we share, we share several things in common, but one is every one of us need to hear these words in life. I love you. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. They empower us. They're life-giving to us. I want you to think just a second now of all the words that could have been said to Jesus. Uh, the Father could have, this booming voice could have come out of the sky and said, Watch out for Judas. Don't trust him too much. Or how about this? The devil's going to try to get you at every turn. He's going to try to make you sin, but don't do it. I think if I'd have been God, I'd have, I'd have talked to the disciples. And I'd have said something like, uh, Hey, guys. Savior of the world here, the, whole, the future of the world is depending on him, but then it's going to depend on you. So I don't want you to blow it. You need to hang in there because every person on the planet is depending on you. He didn't say that. God the Father spoke to his son. I want you to hear this. He wasn't talking to the crowd. He said, you are my beloved son. And in you, 
I'm well pleased. These relational, life-giving words impacted Jesus, the man. Now, I want to give you three things, and these are worth writing down, about three ways that your words impact specifically. The first word is identity. The second is approval. And lastly, it's importance. Let me talk first about words of identity. You are my beloved son. There's a theory of human development that basically says when a child comes into the world, they're like a blank piece of paper, a blank slate. And the experiences of their life and the words spoken to them determine how they'll feel about themselves or how the self-concept is developed. What well, can I suggest to you? If someone tells you you're stupid or you're my son and I'm proud of you, you'll end up in two very different directions. Someone called me after the first service and they said, you know, when I was in the third grade, my teacher told me I was not smart enough for her class. And he said, that's affected me my entire life because I began to believe a lie. A significant person is certainly mom and dad, but it's not just mom and dad. It's a coach. It's a teacher. It's someone that you respect. It's a pastor. It's someone in your world. And when they said, basically, you're stupid and you're not going to be anything in life, he lived up to the level of his identity that was created by the words that were spoken over their life. Now, most of us today struggle with our identity. Most of us in this room today, if we're honest, we lack self-confidence. We don't really believe in ourself. Uh, we don't necessarily like the person in the mirror, or we wish they were different so we could be something else. Everybody has this need to understand their identity. You have a little girl, let's say she's 13, and that little girl, when you, she comes out of the room and she says, uh, our dad says to her, you sure are beautiful, honey. She didn't believe she's beautiful because all she saw was that zit. And all she thinks is she's ugly because she knows she's going to go to school and people are going to make fun of her. So she spent 30 minutes in front of that mirror, you know, trying to decide whether to attack it or leave it alone or how much to put on it to make it go away. But something about, she may say, oh, dad, you're not telling me the truth. Who cares what she says? Tell her anyway. She needs to hear it because it's fashioning your identity. When you use the words you are, it is establishing identity. It is helping people believe in themselves. We all need this. You need to hear. People need to hear from your lips words, uh, words like this. They need to hear from your lips words that tell them things like, you're a man of God. You're a woman of God. Your life is going to make a difference. You are a good friend. You are a good man. And this first thing that God the Father tells us is when he said, Jesus, you are my beloved son, it shaped his identity, and it'll work the same way in us, and we should say those words often. Now, let me give you the second one. It's the word approval. The second thing the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In other words, you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. See, we need to hear this. Every, every, every person needs to know that what they're doing is worthwhile, that they're doing a good job. I don't care if it's the guy that's planting flowers on the landscape company. The crew chief needs to go by and say, you did a really good job there. Uh, your three-year-old child, let's say you've got a three-year-old, and, and uh, she's in, upstairs in kids' church today, and she comes back after church, and she's so excited, and she has her scribble art. Well, you can either say to her, honey, can't you stay in the lines? You're not going to be a good artist if you don't stay in the lines. Or you can just, wow, that is beautiful. Did you do that? <laughs> yes. Honey, that is beautiful. I'm going to put it on the refrigerator. And you go to the refrigerator, and every time she walks by the refrigerator, she goes, I'm 56, and I feel the same way. 
I'm telling you, a coach has the ability to lift a player to a higher level of excellence. That player that dropped the ball, that player that missed the snap, that centered the ball over the punter's head, that coach has the ability to help that person believe in their self and affirm what they do. I'm telling you, you as an employer, if you have people that are working for you, if you will recognize what people do, I don't care if their job is as simple as putting a stamp in the upper right-hand corner. If you can look at that mail and you can say, you know what, you put that stamp in the right place and you made it, it's fashioned just right, it's not just thrown on the paper, I'm very proud of you. What your words do is your words release people to go to a higher level. It makes a difference in their life. And I'm telling you, life and death is in the power of our tongue. Our words give people identity, but our words also give approval. Now stay with me for the third one, Mark chapter 9. We're still with Jesus, and we're going to see what amounts to a, a, a situation exactly like the one he experienced in Mark 1. Now, though, we're at the end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, and he leads them up to a high mountain. So get the picture, Jesus walking up the mountain with his closest disciples, and he gets to the top, and the Bible says he was transfigured before them. This is the word from which we get our term metamorphosis. He was literally changed inside out. The Bible says his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In other words, Jesus was having a supernatural experience. His human body became a heavenly body, and Moses and Elijah appeared. This is an incredible situation. Peter and them don't know what to do, but verse 7 is where I want you to listen. A cloud overshadowed them. This was the presence of God, and a voice came out of the cloud. And what did it say this time? Say it with me. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Now this time, uh, Jesus is not the primarily one receiving these words. This time, God the Father is speaking to the people around Jesus about Jesus. Now this is important because I'm going to talk about the word importance, about what you say about people in the presence of other people. There's a place of what we say to people just to them face to face when you put your kids in bed or, or my son was here in the first service this morning. He's headed back to Fayetteville. It's one thing to say something to him privately in the office, but this it says publicly for the world to hear and the world to know. Now once again, this scripture harkens back to the book of Deuteronomy, this time 1,400 years ago, this is predicted. The scripture says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, from among you, from your brothers, and to him you shall listen. Didn't the father just say we're to listen to Jesus? And the words here are, have to do with obedience. This term, listen to him, means it means literally that you need to obey him. So here's Jesus. Now he is the Savior of the world. He's about to accomplish mission that will allow every person to go to heaven if they choose his way, allow forgiveness of sins, but he's about to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Gethsemane is before him. The cross is before him. And once again, at this crucial time in life, the Father speaks words that bring life to Jesus the man. But this time the life was brought to him, not just what he said to him, but what he said about him in the presence of people. Now I'm telling you, when you, it's one thing to brag on somebody, it's another thing to brag on somebody in the presence of other people. Now I want you to think about this. If you're an author and you're quoted in a book as an authority, how does that make you feel? Again, we're talking about words that breathe life. 
Uh, if you are a physician or if you're a hairstylist and you have a long, long waiting list for people to, uh, to come and to see you, what does that say about you? They say, you're important. How about if you're a scientist and you win the Nobel Prize? What does that say? This woman knows what she's doing. When her peers elected her, and it's a sense of importance that our words convey to people when we, I use the word brag on them, but when we're declaring truth over their lives, I'm telling you, you just get bigger and you just feel bigger. I don't care if it's a coach bragging on you or talking about your abilities. You remember the movie Bruce Willis, Armageddon, when he came to save us all? pseudo-savior there. Well, anyway, you remember the story. This asteroid is coming to destroy America, and it's all doom and gloom. And now you've got this general sitting around the table at NASA. And the general represents the President of the United States, and they're going to blow up the asteroid with 500 nuclear bombs. And then there's this little kind of dorky-looking scientist on the end of the table. And he says, excuse me, that's a bad idea. And the general kind of looks down his nose at him and said, well, who are you anyway? And then the head of NASA sparks up, and he said, well, this is so-and-so. He's one of our scientists, and he's probably the smartest man on the planet. You need to listen to him. Now, when he said, you're the smartest man on the planet, you need to listen to him, it was just like God the Father when he told the disciples, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It is not just a validated of action, validation of action, but it is a recognition of importance of what you're doing. And every person in this room today longs for significance. Every one of us, whatever we set ourselves to do in our, the journey through our life, we want to feel like it matters, like it's as important. And I'm telling you, if you can hear in your own ears people say those words about you, it will lift you to do even more. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now let's flip the page. The first one was about the Father speaking to Jesus that we can imitate. But now I want to talk about what the Bible calls the blessing. I want to talk about these simple words, God bless you. Can you say that with me? God bless you. Now that's a phrase that's said everywhere, but it goes over our heads most of the time. But I want you to listen to this and adopt this in your life. This word blessing, it, it kind of combines asking God to show his goodness and favor to someone, but it has an element of pronouncing as well. In other words, when you say, God bless you to somebody, what you're saying is, I pray and I believe that God's goodness is going to follow you. When you say, God bless you, you're praying that the favor of God is going to come upon that person's life. But the blessing also has a prophetic ability to it. It's a sense of you've captured what God's going to do in that person's life and you paint a picture for them of the future. Let me illustrate both of these. Now, Genesis 47, 7 we're back in the days of Egypt and Pharaoh. Joseph brings in his daddy, Jacob, and he stood him before Pharaoh. And what did Jacob do? The most powerful man in the world at the time is Pharaoh. And here's this Jewish man, the daddy of Joseph, and he blesses this great man. Now, I don't know what he said, but maybe it was something like this. You remember life and death and the power of the tongue? Maybe he said, Mr. Pharaoh, I pray that God continues to give you the wisdom that's going to allow you to protect the people of the world. Because that's what he did in the famine. Uh, Mr. Pharaoh, I pray that God gives you the compassion to help people that are in need. But it's something about declaring a blessing, God's goodness and favor of that person's life. And it's throughout the Bible, Luke 24, 50. Jesus, when he's ascended, he led the disciples as far away as Bethany, the town of Bethany. He lifted up his hands, and what did he do? So if you can picture Jesus going into heaven, he places his hands like this, and he blesses the people. Now, I don't know what he said, but perhaps he called them by name, 
As he said, Matthew, it's going to be difficult, but you're going to be faithful. You're going to make it. I know you will. He looked at another person and he said, he said, Martha, your ability to serve God and serve people is going to cause you to, is going to be cause you to be remembered throughout the ages. Don't give up and don't quit. Maybe he looked at someone else and says, when it's hard, don't quit. When Satan comes to attack you, I'm going to give you strength by the Holy Spirit and you're going to make it. It's like they're just speaking words of life over people. You remember Jesus uh, in the New Testament, children, uh, parents, we wanted them to bring their babies so Jesus could do what? Bless them. Lay his hands on them and, and bless them. Here's another one. Uh, Laban, a grandfather and father, he kisses his grandchildren and his daughters and what did he do? He blessed them. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that this is something that you and I can do, that we can speak faith-filled words of blessing over people, asking and calling upon God to show them His goodness and favor. Let me read this, Psalm 129, verse 5. An interesting passage that presumes that we have the right and ability to bless people with our words, but this is the negative context. Now, follow with me. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shame. And now he's going to withhold the words of blessing. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now leave that scripture up, and I want you to say that with me out loud. The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Say it one more time. The blessing of the Lord be on you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. So it's presumed that that was a part of their practice, and it can be a part of your practice as well. I do this virtually every day of my life. If you call me on my cell phone, 903-777-7777, here's what I'll say on the voicemail. That was the only joke I'd planned for today, and I got about a fourth of you that were tuned into it. Hi, this is John Miller. I can't come to the phone, but if you'll leave your name and number, I'll call you back as soon as I can. God bless you, and have a great day. When I see someone, whether it's a waitress or someone that's working behind the counter at the dry cleaners, God bless you and have a great day. And if I feel appropriate, I might add something to it. But what you're literally doing is you're invoking heaven's favor on that person's life. And it's your words and it's your faith behind those words that has the power to bless people, my friend. You're helping people. It's like, it's like you're like the power cord and you're trying to help them find the plug-in so God can move in their life. Now, let me kind of flip the, another page and let's talk about our words declaring a God-ordained prophetic destiny. In other words, this blessing is anticipating what God's going to do in their future. For example, if someone looks at you and they know you're in financial difficulty and they say to you, you know what? God's going to take care of you. He said He'd never turn His back on you. He'd never leave you. And I know it's been difficult, but you can have confidence that God will care for you. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. But how many know if the Holy Spirit is on something, you're God's vehicle and your words are just creating faith. Your words are turning doubt into faith. Simply because you've spoken this blessing. Listen to this, Genesis 24. The brothers of Rebekah said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. In other words, she's about to leave. Go marry Isaac. And her brothers, when she leaves, saying, Sister, I hope that you, 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 your generations will follow you and all the kids will be born will multiply into the hundreds of thousands. They spoke a blessing of increase over her life. May, may your people never be into bondage and slavery, but may they possess the wicked and may they keep the wicked away from their gates. They're speaking a prophetic blessing about a preferred future. How about this? Hebrews eleven twenty. 20. 
It says, by faith, and I want you to say this with me. This is a big one. Isaac, what did he do? Invoked future blessings on his son Jacob and Esau. Now think about what you just read. A father somehow spiritually have an ability to invoke blessings on his children and his grandchildren. I'm telling you, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And your words have the power to shape a person's future. I'm telling you, friends, it is real. Let's say, uh, uh, well, just I do a, a mentoring breakfast with our interns in our church. Last week we were at Cracker Barrel. It was 11. I was at 7 o'clock. And I started out this way. I said, you know what? It was guys and girls there. I said, you guys are going to be significant leaders in the body of Christ. If you get up at 7 in the morning, come on, you're not just going to be someone that comes to church every once in a while. Some of you are going in ministry. Some of you are going to be deacons. Some of you are going to be elders in the church. And I'm telling you, it's just like their stature was doing just like this. And it was not somebody making something up. It was a spiritually minded man recognizing God's grace on people's lives and speaking a prophetic destiny over them. I'm telling you, friends, your words have power. Because how many know your words are just releasing faith in them to believe what God's saying about them? Uh, let's say you visit somebody in jail. And you can look behind this person that you know and they're behind the bars or separating. You can say, I told you if you did it, you'd be in here. You made your bed, you sleep in it. It's true. But how about if you said this? I know you don't want to be here, but I'm telling you, God's not done with you yet. I know you don't want to be in this jail cell, but God is greater than this jail. I'm telling you, if Joseph, come on, in the Old Testament, could find God when he was a slave in Egypt, you can find God in here with HBO. I'm you understand what I'm saying? The world is not going to hold you back. You've got a destiny, son. You're going to grow closer to God than you've ever done in your life. And this is the opportunity for 24-7 for Jesus with you. And the guards are dragging you out. Come on, you've got to go. No, I've got more to say to him. I've got more to say. Which do you think is going to cause that person to live? That's exactly right. Let me wrap up with this this morning. Numbers chapter 6, the final scripture, it's what's called the priestly blessing or benediction. It's Numbers chapter 6, Old Testament verse, and it goes like this. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to... Tell Aaron and his sons, they're the priests, to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. And here's what they said. And I want you to imagine how you feel when someone says this to you. They said, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and may he give you peace. And whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, what's it say? Can everybody say that? Whenever you and Aaron say these words of blessing, God said. You say, well, that's the Old Testament preacher. Doesn't 1 Peter 2.9 tell the believers that we are a royal priesthood? Isn't it just possible that you and I, come on now, because of Christ have been elevated to that place of favor with God because of our identity as a son and daughter of God? And isn't it just possible that life and death are in the power of our tongue? And isn't it just possible that we can speak blessings to people wherever we go? Come on, whether it's our children, whether it's the people we work for, the people we work with, but our words can be life to them. Because how many know, friends, it's death and life that are in the power of the tongue. And I don't know about you, but I'm choosing life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise.
Why don't you stand to your feet? And these next few moments, for many of you, they're going to be the most important moments of this morning. You see, at this point in time, you've heard a guy, a brother in Christ, speaking words from the Bible, some words from culture to try to make it relevant. But now I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something with this and take it a little bit deeper in your life. See, here's what happens, according to Jesus, when you hear the Word of God spoken. Jesus told a parable, it was called the parable of the sower. And the sower sowed seeds, which were the Word of God. And that's what I've been doing this morning. And then Jesus first said, some of these seeds, when they fall on the ground, a bird goes by and gobbles up the seed and it's gone. When the disciple says, what does that mean? Listen to this, here's what Jesus said. Satan comes and he steals the Word. Have you ever been to church and somebody said, uh, how was church today? Oh, it's great. What the preacher talk about? I don't know. 30 minutes later. Wouldn't it be better if, if when they ask you today, well, he talked about the power of our words, but let me tell you what the Holy Spirit told me to do with that. See, that comes by not turning it off at 12 o'clock, but by saying, Lord, in this private moment, would you do something in my life? Could the Holy Spirit come near to me? And then somehow change me from a bitter person who's spewing poison into a life-giving person that's spewing life. Holy Spirit, could you take my anger and my unforgiveness and turn it around? Could you take my pain because I didn't receive this in my childhood and help me begin to give it out? Because I want to be somebody that has words of life, not death. Let's sing this worship song together, and you can just bow your head in prayer, or you can sing whatever you're most comfortable with. You give